Vomit in your head. Season two. I love, I love your vibes tonight. Happy Wednesday, friends, and welcome back to Aquarius Behavior, a best friends podcast. I'm your co-host, Morgan. And I'm your co-host, Samantha. We invite you to hang out with us each Wednesday to take in some chaotic storytelling, low-key learning, and high-quality audio. That's the app pod, Promise. And it is the fourth Wednesday of the month, which means it's all Austin, all the time, all the fucking time. All the fucking time, and it's time for book. Time for book. I have. (laughs) You go first. I. We're all very excited. This is what happens if you're just tuning in. This is pretty much what happens every book nook. Is like we have just been storing up all of this Jane Austen energy as we've been uh, separately listening to and reading the novels, and we don't talk about it all month. So we just we're we're just passing, seeing each other every day, pretty much. Yep. Recording our other podcast episodes. <laughs> and so now it's time. We have to make eye contact. And I've been reading the first half of Emma. Morgan, have you been reading the first half of Emma? Well, coincidentally, Ugh. yes. Wow. I have I, been. I have been having so many low-key feelings over on my side of the friendship. How have the feelings been on your side of the wow. friendship? Yeah. Yeah. This is an interesting one. So have you ever read Emma? No. Or listened to it? I have not either. No. It's so okay. It's both of our first like read through uh-huh. or listen throughs. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, 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 cool. That's good to know. Uh, we've watched movies though of this one together. Yes, we have seen both of the movies: the Gwyneth Paltrow one, yep, and the one that was released in 2020 with the beautiful woman that has the name Anya Taylor Joy. Mm-hmm. Anya yeah. Taylor Joy in the 2020 Emma. With her beautiful face and the tailoring and the costumes of the Regency era. Great costumes. My gosh. And Miranda Hart is in that one, too. Uh, Yeah, okay, yeah. I Okay, that's, like, you've already touched on, like, three adjacent (laughs) conversations that we need to talk about before we can start dealing about the thing. Oh, my gosh. I know, I know, I know. So, uh, yeah, so I that's where I always, like, usually like to start is Mm -hmm. just, like, what is, what is our experience... With the book that we're reading, because we are on, so we're on Emma. A little bit about this, if I may. Yes, please. So a little bit about this novel, okay? So this novel was published on December 23rd, 1815. A little Christmas read. Mm-hmm. little Christmas read. little Christmas read. read. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the title page, if you're reading the book, it says 1816, because, you know... There was paperwork to take care of. They were like, it's the end. And they it's have the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's on PTO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're right, Sam. It was the paperwork. It's the beginning of Q1. We'll just take care of it then. Start strong. <laughs> we've closed We've closed the books for Q4, guys. <laughs> correct. Correct. It's like, all right, let's get this one, last one on the roll for the year. Sneaking this one yep. in here. So this was the fourth novel that was published during Jane Austen's lifetime. And it also happened to be the last novel that was published in her lifetime. This was her last one out. Yes. This was her witness of the last. Okay. This was the last oh, one. Such a good book. Yeah. So uh, I was doing a little bit of review, mm-hmm. you know, about this novel. You know, what do other people say about it? 
mainly what does Wikipedia have to say? Uh, what does Wikipedia have to say? I'm a millennial, and that's my main source of information. Yeah. Yeah. It's the collective. I'll admit it. Uh, and <laughs> No. But also because we have watched some of these movies, we've collected some uh, research up front on this because we have watched some of the movies. I know I've watched some commentaries to this. Uh, and so it's to like these movies. And so it seems pretty like widely regarded as one of as like Austin's most mature work. Right. Because it is the last one that she wrote before she passed. And so it's really like this is kind of the culmination of all of her writings so far, you know. And so it was interesting going into reading that uh, book for the first time for me mm -hmm. <laughs> and really considering that and seeing like, OK, does it seem that way to me? And I have to say right off the bat, like I found all of the movies I saw of Emma and all the adaptations quirky and funny and I enjoyed them. But just, dude, reading this book is a whole different ballgame. It's a whole nother like, level. The way it starts off, uh -huh. I just love hate Emma because she is just such this incredible character. It's like Austin has created this just like dream uh, imaginary scenario where she's like, what if I just wrote a character, a woman who pretty much had all the benefits of a man at the time? Yep. Like she doesn't have to get married. She's nope. wealthy on her own. Yeah. She's independent. She already takes care of a household. She's 21. She's freaking gorgeous. Yep. Everyone loves her because she's so fucking charming. Charisma score up the wazoo what would you do? Yeah. Like, what an interesting, fascinating scenario. What did you get up to? What are you going to get up to in your small town <laughs> yes. of that the church scene in the movie um, in 2020 is so small and it just made me burst out laughing oh my gosh, yes. of just being like, yeah, there's maybe 12 to 15 pairs of people or families in the area and that is your social life. That's it. That's it. And also... Yeah, and also a character who doesn't want anything more. And this is the first time that I am seeing a character like that in Austin's works. Yes. And so she has had, I mean, she has written such incredible heroines because they're all just distinct. And uh, they all are telling and showing these different sides of what it was like to be a woman mm -hmm. in the early 1800s in England. Uh, what that was experience was like, but she's shown it from a lot of different perspectives so far. So we've seen women who are wealthier and what that's like. We've seen women who are in uh, more of a dire situation. Dire situation. <laughs> yes. Yes. Get married off. Mm -hmm. uh, and so all of these different perspectives. And this is the first time we've really seen a character who has nothing to lose. Like, literally, she's yes. happy. She's content with everything. She's like, yeah, I'm fucking gorgeous. My life is awesome. I'm super popular. Oh, great. <laughs> what, what the fuck is that and like? And so it's like in the first it's couple chapters, chapters, you're just like, and what what is the actual problem here? What are what are the actual problems that this person's going to deal with? There isn't one. <sighs> there isn't one. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Morgan, you know how we've been reading these spiritual AF cards? <gasps> yes, I've loved that. Okay, I love that you started talking about Emma because this one, we drew one last time and it talked about 
Fanny, one of our other heroines in the Austin series. Fanny and Price, Mansfield Park. She oh. was just full of learning who she was and shaking it all off and starting over and doing it to them. Mm-hmm. So I drew this. Let me let me know if this vibes with maybe some of the themes that we've been talking about with Emma. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. All right, here's our cold draw spiritual AF card. Ooh. <clears throat> Vibrate so high that toxic people fall back because they no longer know how to approach you. Know how you can tell you're on some hardcore personal growth? Your perspective gets bigger and your inner circle gets smaller. It may be that people who want to gossip quit texting you when you stop talking shit. If you're busy manifesting your dreams, keeping your side of the street clean, and working on those old gnarly wounds that people want to avoid in themselves, some people are bound to disappear. Be kind to yourself and others as you outgrow people and places. Mm. This is a character journey, and the growth that some of the characters go through of growing into their own and what they want. Mm-hmm. And moving on. So that's our, our mm-hmm. spiritual AF card for this week. Wow. Vibrate that's really interesting. So high. The toxic people fall back. Yeah. Because they no longer know how to approach you. <gasps> Good God, man. The beautiful one. Wow. Yeah. This book is super gossipy. It's super gossipy. There's so much gossip everywhere. Everyone is gossiping about everyone all the time. And Emma She's a fucking pot stirrer. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. Because mm-hmm. she is not, I'm going to say right now, she's not a very likable character. Mm-hmm. If And I got to be honest, like if I met her in the real life, in the real I life, I would probably be envious of her because she's totally that person that everybody is in love with. Like you just want to be her friend. You just like, you want her to tell you secrets. Yeah. <laughs> You just hang out around. You want to look like her. It's a very Regina George situation, you yes. know. Like <laughs> that's what I imagine. The plastics, <laughs> the plastics. And so, uh, yeah, I I just want to be just like Emma. And it's also she's like super toxic. She's a little potster, she... and she loves. She's manipulative, <gasps> but she does it, and she's so cute about it that you're just like. And she really loves her dad and takes such good care of him. So you're just like. Well, maybe she's not that she's much not of an asshole. Bad. And she's really not though. No, and we she's know not. that. She's not actually. It's just she's immature, man. She's a woman in the 1800s. Immature and she's got to mine her own beeswax. She's got to mine her own beeswax. <laughs> I will say so it is going to be impossible for me to completely separate today's conversation from uh, Clueless, the movie, and references about the 90s movie Clueless because uh, Clueless is a modern adaptation of Emma. That's right. And so if you've ever seen that movie, that is legit. Welcome uh, to a retelling. And so <laughs> Clueless. all I was doing, like, I'm serious, like, as I was listening to this book, I kept be like you know in my bathroom getting ready for the day or it'd be you know cleaning my house listening to my book and then all of a sudden I'm fantasizing about Clueless and Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about scenes and how they would compare to that passage in the book and oh my gosh what a tool I was listening (sighs) to it on audiobook and Eric was walking through the kitchen and I said honey this is the part where um 
Cher sees that uh, Ty's picture is hanging in Elton's locker, and that's the noise I made. Yes. And then he walked away. And I that was the end of that conversation. <laughs> I specifically yeah. got my husband. My husband does not like chick flicks. He just he cannot relate. Mm-hmm. And and so, uh, or if he does, he's just like. If he, he's like triggered because he's like I knew people just like that and it's so annoying <laughs> so <laughs> he's just they're not for him but I did get him to watch Clueless because Donald Faison is in it as a very young man mm-hmm. um, playing Dion's boyfriend and he's a Scrubs fan <sighs> oh he's my a god big Scrubs yes, fan Scrubs is his favorite and he listens to uh, Donald and Zach Braff's podcast mm-hmm. like he loves them. And so I did get him to watch it there. And also by talking it up about, you know, how it was, it is, you know, this modern day adaptation of a classic Jane Austen oh, yes. uh, novel mm-hmm. beloved by generations. And so it stands up to the test of time. <laughs> so it's like, you know, That's right. it's not just like some <laughs> money grab. OK, no, there's it's a, a cult, reason. It's cult classic. There's storytelling. Oh, it's so there's good. Layers. So anyways, so I I may like hop around a little bit because how can you talk about Emma and not also adjacently at the same time talk about Cher Horowitz? Yes. Like and monster. Tiny I, backpack. And tiny backpacks because mm-hmm. you've also <clears throat> been into tiny backpacks lately. <laughs> you bought a tiny backpack and you brought it to my house last week. And I was like, oh, my God, we're you know, back in the 90s. And you know I'm when you, so happy oh, about it. You've had a bag for a thousand years. And mm-hmm. then you're like, good God, mm-hmm. bag. It's time. It's your time to shine. So many things happened to me listening to this book. And I need you to know that I did not realize that the second time through listening to the book, mm-hmm. my audiobook was on shuffle. For about four hours, I was just kind of working on projects what? and listening. And it's one of those audiobooks that just it's it's it was like, like it a, shuffled chapters like it. Sh- I had it on shuffle from my K-pop. Mixes. Oh, my God. And so I'm listening and I'm like, wait, Frank Churchill, he hasn't even shown up yet. And so like for about oh three my. hours, just low key, because it was my second time through. So I was like, oh, this all sounds familiar. Yeah. And so things were not making sense. And I was like, am I just stupid or what's happening? And then I realized I look at my history and it's like chapter 20.5, chapter 24.9, chapter 18.2, <laughs> whatever, whatever. So okay. that was my experience. And so I didn't realize that until eight o'clock this morning and so then i re-crammed the whole book throughout our day as we've been doing all of the other things that we've been doing oh my gosh uh, i realized that i listened to everything out of order so i think in true book nook fashion the chaos of the day is we have consumed this book and versions of this movie a bunch of different ways at different times in our life mm-hmm. and i've listened to this audiobook three times twice the first half <laughs> And once the entire book shuffled, but not realizing it, I was like, chapter 50, what's happening? Oh, my Uh, god! So there are so many moments that I ran over to my book to, like, take note or make a moment or make a mental note saying I have to read passages from these characters circling back to what you said, because these characters stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. And so while all of my thoughts and feelings are completely jumbled, mm-hmm. I do have a book that is actually tabbed and we can make our way through as we Thank talk about God. characters. 
But I just felt like just a whole kerfuffle of like, well, I'm not quite sure what the order of events are, mm-hmm. but we know the general gist of it. I just I could not wait to tell you that yeah. my audiobook was on shuffle for chapters. For what a wild <laughs> listening experience. <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious. So thankful that it happened with something that like I had heard and seen movies of before because if yeah. this would have happened with like Mansfield Park, I would have had no idea. Oh, because disaster. how all of these chapters start out is you land in a different scene. Yes. And so sometimes there's not a lot of continuity from one chapter to the other. Mm-hmm. And so it can it it's essentially sounds like a scene change. And so if you're not familiar with how things progress, it was a little bit of a nightmare, but mm-hmm. it's I'll take it. This is, it was a fun nightmare to have. <laughs> well, and this, to your point there, mm-hmm. like, this has been a fast-paced novel. Like, you're right. And I didn't even think of that until you said it, but you're right. Every chapter, it just starts off like we're in the middle of a scene, whereas previous novels, I mean, we, I feel like the visits were longer. But this one, I mean, Emma lives close to town. She has like a lot of neighbors, like a very tight knit community that she's she's extremely social. She's the most fucking social butterfly we've met yet. Yeah. And so she's just constantly around people and there's always things happening. And so keeping the reader apprised of yes. what is happening. And there's in each so of the many things. characters. There's so it's like that is so easy to get jumbled when reading this. And, and the use of letters and who is talking and who, in whose voice are we telling the story? Because that is also sometimes I would be zoning out and mm-hmm. realizing that we were in the middle of a beautiful Mrs. Bates monologue. Just <laughs> paragraphs and paragraphs. Don't worry. <laughs> so I've, much I've to picked say. some. Yeah. <laughs> she has so much to say. And <laughs> if you have, like, I have just a lovely audio book thing that I'm listening to and she's just doing Miss Bates just the voice so good and it just it makes me burst out just the way that the characters are written Mm -hmm. how you are seeing the like the lens that Jane is showing us all of the progression with Miss Fairfax and Etc. It's a, yeah, I just but I have a lot of feelings and I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay, yeah. So we're in a very we're in a very similar headspace then mm-hmm. coming into this conversation. Evening it's, podcasting time. Yeah, it's evening podcasting time. Uh we've we've both worked a full day and given all of our efforts, and now we're here and we have content overload with Emma. And it's just all very jumbled because who's who's to remember which adaptation it came from? Mm-hmm. Uh, or did I invent it in my head? Yeah. What exactly. a ride. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to this. All right, Sam, where should we start? We need to just jump back in with Emma because uh, also Eric uh, last night watched the first half of the 2020 version with me because that's the one that I haven't seen for a while. It's stunning. Howled. Howled with laughter. And the first words out of his mouth were, man, she's kind of a bitch. And then the next scene, there's a nice scene with her dad. And then he's like, oh, maybe not. It's like, and it was just so funny you said that because- that's how it's so true. You're supposed to feel it's, about You're her. supposed to immediately feel like she's saying goodbye to Mrs. Taylor and sending her off oh and feeling really gosh. all like butthurt and selfish about like how her, you know, good governess, essentially her mm-hmm. comrade since her mother has passed. She is now moving a half a mile down the road and becoming Mrs. Weston, right? 
I mean, good luck with all the names, everyone. But she's becoming right. Mrs. Weston. In the next scene, we're having a lovely exchange with her and her father. And mm -hmm. it's like, oh, well, maybe this is just how she acts because these she's found herself amongst riches with not a lot of problems. Right. Yeah. And, okay, to be fair, I need to say something because please... Uh <laughs> I always need to say something. I don't know why I preface it so dramatically. This is the I need to say something corner with Morgan. Always have something to say. Uh, so I do remember being young and friends getting married at a young age, like 21, which kind of seems for like Jane Austen era, that seems old. Like we're trying like, you know, girls are coming out at the age of like 15, 16 and we're trying to marry them off usually before they're 18 because it's like, well, let's just get them out there and get our dowry because that's one less mouth to feed here. Uh, and so it's interesting to have somebody who's 21, but that's still very young in terms of maturity. And yeah. so <laughs> and so I understand, you know, that just kind of quiet internal mourning like as a young person when a best friend gets married because it is very different and it does really change the dynamic and it's the early 1800s so it's not like there's that many yes. other distractions and so and that's even more different like your whole it's chunk like, of social life she yeah she lives a half a mile away but you're gonna have to still walk to her house every time you want to go and she has a husband and she has a husband so like you got to ask to go over there mm -hmm. and then they're going to make babies soon. And then there's going to be that she's going to raise a family. It's just like, it's a whole different thing. She can't just be there all the time to talk to you. And she was really freaking chuffed with herself. And she was. She was chuffed with herself. And we need to talk about it because I oh totally gosh, um, so need to read this part. So she, <clears throat> Emma fancies mm -hmm. herself a matchmaker. Just like our friend Cher Horowitz. I just, now, I did not know when I watched Clues for the first time in like fifth grade or whatever mm -hmm. that it was based on Emma. When you told me that years later, just mm -hmm. years ago, I was like, are you kidding me? That's why it's such a great, because what a ridiculous movie Clueless is. It's a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous movie and I love it so much. Okay. Gosh. Agreed. So Emma is pretty stoked about kind of setting Miss Taylor and Miss, Mr. Weston up. And so she says, <clears throat> everybody said that Mr. Weston would never marry again. Oh, dear, no. Mr. Weston, who had been a widower so long and who had seemed so perfectly comfortable without a wife, so constantly occupied either in his business in town or among his friends, here always acceptable wherever he went, always cheerful. Mr. Weston need not spend a single evening of the year alone if he did not like it. Oh, no. Mr. Weston certainly would never marry again. Some people even talked of a promise to his wife on her deathbed, and others of the son and the uncle not letting him. All manner of solemn nonsense was talked on the subject, and I believe none of it ever since the day, about four years ago, that Miss Taylor and I met with him in Broadway Lane when, because it began to mizzle, are we going to say mist and drizzle? Mizzle? Is that... It did, is. Did she make that word up? It is mizzle because okay. it began to mizzle. M-I-Z-Z-L-E. Interesting. Morgan, we'll have to keep our hmm. eye out for the next time it 
Mizzles outside. Yeah, I didn't know that was a word. Way Mizzle to go, Jane. Now it is. Uh, he darted away with so much gallantry and borrowed two umbrellas for us from Farmer Mitchell's. I made up my mind on the subject. I planned the match from that hour. And when such success has blessed me in this instance, dear Papa, you cannot think I shall leave off matchmaking. I do not understand what you mean by success, said Mr. Knightley. Success supposes endeavor. Your time has been properly and delicately spent. If you have been endeavoring for the last four years to bring about this marriage, a worthy employment for a young lady's mind, but which I rather imagine your making the match, as you call it, means only your planning it. You're saying it to yourself one idle day. I think it would be a very good thing for Miss Taylor if Miss Mr. Weston were to marry her and saying it again to yourself every now and then afterwards. Why do you talk of success? Where is your merit? What are you proud of? You made a lucky guess. And that is all that can be said. You guys, have you met Mr. Knightley? Because he is here and he whoo, is holding Emma to some standards. He's and just bringing her back to earth because Ooh. he's so right, though. I mean, so the right. audacity to and to take personal responsibility like that for like curating someone else's feelings that's not a real thing no emma emma (sighs) emma i feel like that's the whole theme of this book emma (sighs) girl (laughs) come on so that's an interesting quote to start off on because i think I think that was a really great example of one of the themes of this book, which is privilege. It's just everywhere. Emma is just privilege. All of it. All the privilege, all the time from Mm -hmm. everywhere. And, you know, this is kind of the danger is just (laughs) just the total unawareness. And, oh, she's really put herself up on a pedestal. You have and... nothing to compare yourself to. So it's like, no, this she is just mm. has been elevated to the highest, you know, opportunities. And yes. it's almost like she is above all of it. Look at these yes. little play things. And the problem I get to watch. Exactly. And that's the problem for me. So, you know, it's interesting because there's part of me that wants to root for Emma as a female because I see her in this dream scenario of of not wanting anything. You know, the stakes have never been lower. The stakes have never been lower. And it is a fascinating scenario to imagine. She's guaranteed what, like (laughs) 30,000 a year or some ungodly Regency era amount. Filthy rich. This is one of those things where everything has gone right for emma you know it's it's like old family yes it's they talk the, about it in the beginning of the chapters of like the adjacency of the medieval times that they were descended from mm-hmm. yeah so in the opening of this book we're finding a character in a situation that is the complete opposite uh that we found ourselves in at the beginning of sense and sensibility right because in sense and sensibility we have This mother and uh, her three daughters who are forced to leave their home due to an entailment and a will after her husband died that left them with nothing. And here we have literally the opposite thing with Emma where she was given an inheritance, an incredible 
incredibly outrageous amount of money and for the time where she just she has nothing she is living comfortably and quite fashionably and she can afford to live that way for literally the rest of her life without any help so she is just literally living um on her a whim it's just like well what is the thing that's going to entertain me and make me happy so like that amount of privilege is is kind of rare and something that so few people get a glimpse into. And so that is why I love her and I am I do find myself rooting for Emma because mm-hmm. she is the dream scenario. Like that's that's the dream is being a woman and having everything that you want and absolutely no barriers, fearing nothing. Fearing she has nothing. no fears, not a care in the world. What is that like? Because traditionally, that is not the story of females throughout history. No. Hmm. Interesting. 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 She is so aware of her situation, too. I start a little paragraph. This is where she's chatting with her friend, Harriet. And she said, Harriet's asking her, dear me, but what shall you do? How will you employ yourself when you grow old? And Emma says, if I know myself, Harriet, mine is an active, busy mind with a great many independent resources, and I do not perceive why I should be more in want of employment at 40 or 50 than one in 20. Women's usual occupations of hand and mind will be as open to me as they are now, or with no important variation. If I draw less, I shall read more. If I give up music, I shall take to carpet work. And as for objects of interest, objects for the affections, which is in truth the great point of inferiority, the want of which is really the great evil to be avoided in not marrying, I shall be very well off with all the children of a sister I love so much to care about. There will be enough of them in all probability to supply every sort of sensation that declining life can need. There will be enough for every hope, every fear, and though my attachment to none can equal that of a parent, it suits my ideas of comfort better than what is a warmer and blinder. My nephews and nieces, I shall often have a niece with me. Someone's just like, I'm going to just hang out with my sister and her five children as they get older. I don't even need to marry or have kids. I can skip this whole family life Mm -hmm. and just hobby myself into Mm -hmm. not even retirement. I almost said retirement. No, just hobby herself into old age. She's just she's already doing it. Auntie energy. Yeah. Big hat. Auntie energy. Auntie witch energy. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that. Okay, she's the she's the cool aunt. She's she's the yeah. very cool yeah. aunt. She's the cool hip aunt. Wow, absolutely. I love. Thank you for reading that because yeah. I love. That's a perfect example of what you were saying. Yes, and I loved that passage because that was also just when it really struck me. And I also loved like her list of hobbies. Love a person who has hobbies. That's hot. That is hot behavior. Someone who knows who they are knows what they like. Mm-hmm. Hot. This is what I'm spending time doing. Hell yeah. This is what's important to me. Yeah. Find things that trip your trigger. Passionate about All right? work. Find your passions. Yep. Go soul searching. Mm-hmm. Mm. Get into it. 
that's great. And also the way that her hobbies uh, wax and wane, you know, because I that's the kind of energy I have with my hobbies. It's so real. It's yes. so real. And it's hilarious because it's sometimes really- it results in a lot of like, uh, you know, unfinished projects sprinkled throughout the home. But it's also just because <laughs> I just saw like a storm pass over your face for just a moment. <laughs> Which decorations because that results in a lot of conversations between mm. me and my husband. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but look, also partially just my feelings, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just you know, I'm not someone to sewing right now. I'm gonna go read my books and. You're oh, not the go first play person. Croquet. Yeah. Croquet, or yes. I'm gonna Badminton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. They would totally but play badminton. Women were still dealing with mm-hmm. this, even though Emma and her whole hard life is deciding on whether she wants to do music or drawing or carpet making. But like everyone was still having a tough time with all of their many hobbies. Yes. And all of their unfinished projects. Right. And thinking about it, a lot of Especially looking at the characters and a lot of the secondary characters in Austin's novels up until now, a lot of the uh, female characters around this age, they didn't have a lot of hobbies. Their time was spent with caring for their children or being pregnant. Yes. Uh, There was a lot of... Uh, they were now managers of the household. Yep. So it House was a staff. lot of, yeah, it was a lot of like clerical work within the home. Um, sometimes that included like budgeting and financing. That included managing any uh, one who worked within the home, you know, anyone who cooked or housekeepers, things of that nature. The lands and the properties. If yes. this wasn't even, it's like if we mm-hmm. have, you know, our other parish and situation right that's also making money and keeping track of that and if it's i mean they talk about if they're livestock building or if it's crops or whatever yeah yep and so it Mm. was just like that in in that time for period you know that was a lot of women's roles back then and a lot of women also because they didn't have money or it was unusual to you know uh, give inheritances of like large fortune to, to women. women. Yeah. Uh, we didn't leave women homes. We didn't leave them, you know, money so that they could be independent. We didn't always send them to schools or educate them in the way that we did boys. And so it was very different where a lot of women depended on finding a husband and finding an agreeable match just so they could survive and then continue on living a a safe and you know secure life so it wasn't always about leisure and fun charlotte charlotte collins a perfect samantha pride and charlotte is a perfect example Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. will you reveal uh just review for us about charlotte's situation for those people who maybe didn't tune into pride and prejudice i sure will you guys pride and prejudice one of jane austen's more well-known uh, novels. There's a character, Mr. Collins, who is just absolutely ridiculous, but he is the inheritor of the entire mm-hmm. estate. And so once Lizzie, the our heroine of the book, uh, Lizzie Bennett decides that she uh, will not have his hand in marriage, even though it will leave her family uh, vulnerable to their inheritance being entailed away somehow 
Mr. Collins then proposes to her best friend, Mm -hmm. Charlotte. And Charlotte takes him up and says, you know what, Lizzie? I do not have the leisure to make the choices like you do. And this is for my survival, essentially. Yeah. It's a f- yeah. just a fabulous example of the sacrifices or the compromises. Because also, mm-hmm. was Charlotte, like, content or happy? Or at least, like, hey, look at this lovely soft life. I get this own parlor to myself. We don't need to talk about Charlotte anymore. I can't get on Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, and I'm so glad you bring that up because you're absolutely right. That is an incredible parallel. And I think in general, just looking at Pride and Prejudice and then the characters in Emma is really interesting because Mansfield Park was, we had a completely new, different storyline that we had never, it was just an outlier. It was just, we've never touched characters like this. There's a lot of situations we're not, Uh, comfortable with we talked a lot about mental health which was intense and so but I as I read Emma there's a lot of similarities to me uh I'm seeing between like this and Pride and Prejudice they're not exactly the same but there are a lot of parallels just the themes are like different or opposite or the same but opposite yes Yes. or the same but opposite it's different but it's the same it's like two sides of the same coin it's weird but it is still new enough to keep me going Mm -hmm. and so that's why these stories are so good is because yes. I'm here shaking this book in the air. Yes. Talking about. And and so Charlotte Lucas is a perfect example. And I think that really sums up that we have really seen the strain that money and lack of privilege has put on women in Austin's novels. Like we've seen some really dire situations. We have seen characters that have really. Uh, mourns the loss of their freedom or their independence, their individuality in order to seek safety. And, and you know, so like seeing Emma, this is again the first time we're getting this character who doesn't have any of those roadblocks. And, you know, uh, in Pride and Prejudice, Lizzie Bennet is the most, one of the most outspoken, right, of Austin's character. She's iconic the gumption right uh but there is that bit of her that you know before she does fall in love with darcy the part that prevents her from like really becoming her true self and like letting her inner voice shine is that fear that like she does understand her family's monetary situation she does understand that like there is pressure on her to marry well so that she can continue to contribute to her family and ensure their survival like it is about survival and she does know that and that's always lingering and so that does drive a lot of her choices and and decisions we have none of that with emma she is uninhibited there is nothing holding her back she is wild she is just wild she is going the sky is the limit it's (gasps) whoa it's just it's a lot of energy can we talk (sighs) Can we talk about Emma, Harriet, and Mr. Robert Martin? Oh my gosh, of course. Because that is oh one of the Martin. areas that I um just uh, touched on. Emma and her matchmaking and how she... Okay, <clears throat> I have four thoughts about this and that's the problem yeah. because I don't know what to do first. So we need to talk about... Okay, it's kind of a like is linking right into what you were saying about how 
what mm-hmm. is your status in society that dictates your prospects literally the rest of your life is laid out in front of you because of the variables that you are born into and in this case emma's best friend the fanciest lady in the land is friends with essentially mm-hmm. what an orphan not an orphan but no one knows who her dad is and she's at like miss goddard's school mm-hmm. for all of the girls who are boarding there so harriet is at a boarding school mm-hmm. just like with the local ladies and she's friends with the fanciest lady in the land mm-hmm. and so what i love is that harriet comes to emma and says hey i low-key spent a lot of fun time over the summer at my friend's house on the farm and they have like this way cute brother uh his name is mr martin (laughs) okay so if we're following the clueless adaptation Uh this is travis birkenstock yes it is the stoner skateboarder skateboarder. who's always late because he goes to mcdonald's to get his egg mcmuffin Mm -hmm. and they are always uh, running late. Yep, they're always so but he has they the most tardies in the class. Make holds the record. Little magma. So that's uh. On the same yep. So I'm just Travis gonna keep Bergenstein. our timeline no, straight. Is, no, this so is for good. people who know Clueless but mm-hmm. don't know Emma, don't worry, you can still follow along with us. Everyone gets to play in this yeah. sandbox. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So <clears throat> Harriet's like, hey, I have a way big crush on Mr. Martin. And through the beginning of the book, we find out that Mr. Martin proposes to Harriet in, like, very lovely language, like, very thoughtful. Uh, Emma makes an offhanded remark of, like, his sister probably helped him write this letter. But it was, like, lovely, endearing language that Harriet was actually, Mm -hmm. like, oh, my gosh. Like, Ty was super stoked when Travis was, like, you do Marvin the Martian? Yes. Oh, my God. Thinking of wiping my entire board and just doing, like, one big sticker, you know? Marvin the Martian. (laughs) Get out of here. I can do Marvin the Martian. I can do him. Oh, God. You got Coke here. Okay, we can't. (laughs) Stop. Stop it, Samantha. Brittany Murphy (sighs) impressions all day long. So so good in that. So good. Okay. (sighs) Okay, continue. Harriet then tells Emma, like, Emma, what do you think I should do? Like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And Emma's like, I cannot advise you. It's just not my place to advise you. But she so wants to. And And she's doing it. No. She's she's like, she is. She's she's baiting Harriet a little bit. Now that you have decided, (laughs) I can tell you that it thrills me that this was your decision. So then we cut Mm. to, we're cutting now to a new scene. And Emma and Mr. Knightley are chatting. And Mr. Knightley's like, yo, you know what? I heard some hot goss. Uh, I was hanging out with Mr. Martin because Loki, he also rents land from me. And like, I am a part of his world somehow. I'm not quite sure. Samantha's not quite sure. She listened to everything out of order. Yeah, everybody's connected. And they like, everybody rents land to each other and farms it. And there's this whole little hierarchy in their village of who does what. And are you a landlord or... Are you the the, the peasant montage. who farms it? And anyways, yeah, that's part of the that's part of the thing. The social so, chain yeah. in this book. So he's just like uh, Emma. I found out some really cool stuff. Your friend, this um, girl at Miss Goddard's school, with no prospects, she's gonna get hitched to Mister Martin. He's gonna be proposing. Mm-hmm. 
And so then we jump in. But what is the meaning of this? Harriet Smith refused Robert Martin? Madness. If it is so, but I hope you're mistaken. I saw her answer. Nothing could be clearer. You saw her answer. You wrote her answer too, Emma. This is your doing. You persuaded her to refuse him. Hot, hot, Mr. Knightley, hot, excuse me. And if I did, which, however, I am far from allowing. So many parentheses in this book, too. Side note from Samantha. So many good little asides that are in parentheses that you don't quite get with the audiobook that I'm enjoying finding with these paragraphs. Okay, I'm starting over. And if I did, which, however, I am far from allowing, I should not feel that I had done wrong. Mr. Martin is a very respectable young man, but I cannot admit him to be Harriet's equal, and am rather surprised indeed that he should have ventured to address her. By your account, he does seem to have had some scruples. It's a pity that they were never got over. Not Harriet's equal, exclaimed Mr. Knightley loudly and warmly, and with calmer asperity added a few moments afterwards no he is not her equal indeed for he is much her superior in sense as in situation emma your infatuation about that girl blinds you what are harriet smith's claims either of birth nature or education to any connection higher than robert martin she is the natural daughter of nobody knows whom with probably no settled provision at all And certainly no respectable relations. She's known only as parlor boarder at a common school. She's not a sensible girl, nor a girl of any information. She has been taught nothing useful and is too young and too simple to have acquired anything herself. At her age, she can have no experience and with her little wit is not very likely ever to have any that can avail her. She is pretty and she is good tempered. And that is all. My only scruple in advising the match was on his account, as being beneath his deserts and a bad connection for him. I felt that as to fortune, in all probability, he might do much better. And as to a rational companion, or a useful helpmate, he could do no worse. But I could not reason so to a man in love, and was willing to trust there being no harm in her, To her, having that sort of disposition, which, in good hands, like his, might easily be led aright and turn out very well. The advantage of the match I felt to be all on her side, and had not the smallest doubt, nor have I now, that there would be a general cry out upon her extreme good luck. Even your satisfaction, I made sure of, it crossed my mind immediately that you would not regret your friends leaving Highbury. For the sake of her being settled so well, I remember saying to myself, even Emma, with all her partiality for Harriet, will think this is a good match. So much is happening here, and I just, he sees her, he's thinking of her, he's like, wow, Mm -hmm. your best friend can date this farmer that's tending to this land and your bestie will still be in Highbury so you're welcome your best friend now doesn't have to move away even half a mile is an inconvenience for Emma so Mm -hmm. her bestie being local and Mr. Knightley thinking about that and being thoughtful I just needed to yell about it I find this scene funny because Mm -hmm. I look at it as two friends who are kind of trying to set up their adjacent friends 
Because although Mr. Martin technically works for uh, Mr. Knightley, Mr. Knightley clearly thinks highly of this man. You know, like this is his employee. He's He's giving him the best review. Like, and also I, you know, remember kind of the first time we were introduced to uh, Mr. Martin and Emma's whole thing was like, oh, my God, he's so boring. Like, he's never going to pay attention to you. He's so just normal. always the only thing that he reads is like, you know, the weather reports. And um, he likes to read all of like, you know, Farmer's Almanac or whatever. It was like he just keeps track of finances and he's just like, you know, really fiscally conservative. And I'm reading that like that's hot. Whoa. Fucking Whoa. hot. Like, wow. <laughs> That's, other half of the brain that is husband oh. material mm-hmm. that is prime partner material he okay got his whole set great a yep uh so that's the sexiest thing ever and emma is just like that's not i don't know she says no advantage enough yeah like i don't know but who is she to make decisions for her friend and tell her friend what to want well obviously morgan she didn't tell her she just congratulated her heartily once the decision that's was made. not true she Ugh. was manipulative and influenced Ugh. her maybe she didn't say it with her words but her body language and her influence mm-hmm. over harriet is very clear mm-hmm. there's some gas lamping going there's on some gas lamping. i'm calling gas lamping mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. buzzing in yeah okay buzzing with the gas lamp. interesting 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 wow And so this quarrel, back to why this scene is cute, though. So the scene is cute because, uh, you know, Knightley and Emma get into it a little bit. And they're just snipping at each other. Yeah. Emma's very used to getting her way and people just like being charmed uh, by her and just listening to whatever she says and going along with it and getting her way. And Knightley just stands up to her and is like seems accosted that you know, this would happen to someone, to uh, a fellow gentleman that he esteems so much and like kind of a buddy of his. And like, oh, my God, I tried to like, I imagine like hooked my dude up. So, you know, I've been watching a lot of like reality TV lately. And so I imagine this is elaborate. Yeah. Elaborate. So I am imagining this as a scene in the Jersey Shore, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it's like that kind of situation. It's like, hey, I, I tried to like hook up uh your your girl here with my buddy and uh there's just like some mad disrespect going on right now okay and it's like you know Polly D and he's he's got his little shaved uh, mm-hmm. square hair when super tan and lightly sweaty <laughs> yes. because it's night in the summer in New Jersey so <laughs> As this scene, as I was listening to this scene and as you were reading it back to me, like this is that was kind of the temperature that I was getting. And it gets a little heated because we are disrespecting friends now. And and he brings up a really good point because Emma puts on like Emma is she seems like the epitome of a feminist. You know, she's all about, you know, and there's a lot of talk about gender roles and like female empowerment in this book but also and also and also i see things like this which to me as somebody who identifies as a feminist that to me is not feminist behavior like i believe uh being a feminist means believing in uh female equity and and 
honoring the stories of females and women and encouraging women to lead a life that is fulfilling to them, which can look like anything and take any form. Yeah. There's <laughs> so, a lot of ways to live, you know. But so like, you know, she sometimes likes to talk and get up on her pedestal about uh, get up on her soapbox, if you will, uh, about these kinds of topics. But then also this is her behavior where she's sabotaging a friend. And let's – Harriet and Mr. Martin, they're mad stupid for each other. They love each other so She much. wants to take him to Bone Town hard. She wants to run away into a sunset. Oh, my God. And they're so cute. Yeah. Like they would just be so stupid in love with each other. Mm-hmm. And – it's kind of gross. Well, time like how in- are they have the such end. crushes it's on each fine. other. We, we, if we I hate it. This, yeah. And it's like, why wouldn't you want that? She's like, she turns into like this little girl every time he's around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just like who doesn't so want that for their friend? Just it's so to cute. Be so excited. But <laughs> it, she is watching the destruction for her own benefit, and she says in there like. Well, I can't lose Harriet as a close friend and confidant. She can't. That's I'm not selfish. ready. To, it's so it's, it's so selfish. selfish. That is selfish and manipulative mm-hmm. behavior. Yeah. What else does Emma have going on? This is Emma. 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 And we are only in the first 50, 50 some pages of the book. She be busy. Yeah. She's a busy body. Stirring that. She's a little busy body. Hey, Abpod listeners. Hope you're feeling groovy, and this episode is bringing a slice of nice to your day. Did you know you could follow AquariusBehavior.pod on Instagram to see weekly episode updates and behind-the-scenes podcast pictures? Yeah, it's true. You can also email the show at AquariusBehavior.pod at gmail.com to share your friendship stories or suggest a segment. Stay hydrated, buddies. Now on with the show. Well, I also gotta say that uh, I noticed we have another silly vicar, which is personally one of my favorite uh, characters or themes amongst Jane Austen novels is there's always some sort of silly vicar mm-hmm. and they're always silly. Quirky. Quirky. <laughs> they're always quirky. <laughs> More quirky guy. And here we got another one. Mr. Elton. Mr. Elton. Yeah. Aww. I just. Mm. Elton comes in the scene hot, and he is, what is he? So he's the clergy guy. For, he's confident is what he is. Yeah, well, yes, he's very like, confident. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, they're he, always confident. All of a sudden, he's just, like, yeah. showing up and hanging out and being like, oh, well, Emma, maybe maybe you should draw a drawing of Harriet's likeness because- you know, that would be really nice to have a drawing of Harriet done by you that I could have of Harriet that you drew and that I could have by me forever. That's your art. <laughs> and so secretly, Elton is just like so into all the things that Harriet's doing, but Harriet, or excuse me, all the things that Emma's doing, but Emma is just like blinded by like trying to set Harriet and Elton up because she now needs a distraction for Harriet. We need to set 
We need a distraction for Mr. Martin. We have to set Harriet up with Elton. And so she starts seeing just these little things that do they exist? Don't they exist? We're not sure. But then we find ourselves in a situation, Morgan, where now you and your bestie hanging out and you find yourself doing art of your friend in front of your friend's crush. And he's looking over your shoulder and commenting on the skill and the style. And so once we finish the the drawing, Emma has oh this exchange. What a fucking production <laughs> that was. I got some comments on yeah. that when we're done with this reading. You know, what's good golly. Miss <clears throat> Woodhouse has given her friend the only beauty she wanted, observed Miss Weston to him, not in the least suspecting that she was addressing a lover. The expression of the eye is most correct, but Miss Smith has not those eyebrows and eyelashes. It is the fault of her face that she has them not. Do you think so? Replied he. Here's Elton. I cannot agree with you. It appears to me. I need to slow it down for Elton. <clears throat> it appears to me a most perfect resemblance in every feature. I never saw such a likeness in my life. We must allow for the effect of shade, you know. You have made her too tall, Emma, said Mr. Knightley. Emma knew that she had, but would not own it. And Mr. Elton warmly added, Oh, no, certainly not too tall. Not in the least too tall. Consider she is sitting down, which naturally presents a different, which, in short, gives exactly the idea and the proportions much must be preserved. You know, proportions, foreshortening. Oh, no, it gives one exactly this idea of such a height as Miss Smith's. Exactly so, indeed. It is very pretty, said Mr. Woodhouse, so prettily done, just as your drawings always are, my dear. I do not know anybody who draws as well as you do. The only thing I do not thoroughly like is that she seems to be sitting out of doors with only a little shawl over her shoulders, and it makes one think she must be cold. I can't with Mr. Woodhouse, but I had to throw in that part because we need to talk about him next. Mm -hmm. But the painting, the picture, the drawing, mm -hmm. Morgan it's not about Harriet. It's such a weird roundabout way to flirt with yes. somebody. Yes. It's because there's no, it's so out of left field. And I also am just as taken aback and it was by two Elton's days. advances. Two days of drawing. He came back oh the next God. day to witness the final day of drawing. Continue. And then he takes it and he's mm -hmm. like, I'm going to take it into town, into London, and I'm going to get it specially framed. It is like this whole ordeal. And I felt excited by the scene in the way that I felt excited by the play that was being put on at Mansfield Park because it's just the play within the book yes the play within the book because it's just like oh my gosh the extent that we are going to make this some lavish extravagant activity is just wild might, the expense oh god might he be trusted with the commission what infinite pleasure should he have in ex executing it? He could ride to London at any time. It was impossible to say how much he should be gratified of being employed by such an errand. He's just, he's just groveling. He's just a little weenie. He's just showing up and being like, how can I ingratiate myself to Miss Woodhouse? But everyone is interpreting it and Harriet's interpreting it. As I'm just, like, I'm not impressed. No. Like, that's not what I need you to do. 
go do the dishes. But you drew her exactly the tallness that is correct, Morgan. Oh, my God. This does remind me. So I love this also because if we're following along with uh, the 90s cult classic Clueless. So this would be the scene in Clueless where they're all the gang is at the water fountain. They're at the fountain. And Cher is taking photos of everybody. They're doing it's a montage. Elton, get closer to Ty. <laughs> Ty, come over here with your rose. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so it's that whole thing. And I gotta say, I definitely have feels about that because I remember this was very like middle school for me where, you know, we'd go on a field trip or something or it's a special event and you get your disposable camera or something, you know, and you're taking all these pictures and then you get them developed a few weeks later and you're going back and you're like, oh my God, there's my crush. Oh my God, his hair is so spiky. I'm going to pin him up on my board in my room. Wow. Wow. Oh my gosh. And so I, yeah, I definitely identify to that energy. (laughs) And also, I just find comedy in how long they draw this out. I also don't have patience to, I think, work on a project two consecutive days like that with that kind of diligence. Ugh, I'd be like, forget about it. Sitting for a drawing and (sighs) being witness sitting for a drawing and the hours. And people just come and watch. Hours of awkward silence. This was the entertainment. This this was what was happening today. That was the event of the day. Yeah, everyone come and do that. We're not going to sit down and... And watch YouTube, it's this. Yeah. Interesting. Even Mr. Woodhouse was just, Mm. like, hanging out there, just, like, watching. Wow. Just just looking. Speaking of Mr. Woodhouse, (sighs) did you like that segue? Did you like that very excellent plan segue? you over there. Let me tell you, one of the things that I never picked up on in the movies is how Mr. Woodhouse is written and how almost opposite he is just concerned. He just wants to have a nice, quiet time. If it's too hot or too cold, if there's too much weather happening outside, if he's just concerned for everyone else. There was a whole thing about the wedding cake for a while of like people are just walking around with this cake and no one should maybe eat all the Dear cake. Dear God, the snow. Dear God, the snow. Everyone. This, it's snowing and now we need to freak. Okay. He's a he's a oh, hypochondriac. He's, he's a hypochondriac. <clears throat> he's a little drama. Let me let me grab a little uh little dollop of Mr. Woodhouse God, I love for all of us. Okay. <clears throat> a man, said he, must have a very good opinion of himself when he asks people to leave their own fireside and encounter such a day as this for the sake of coming to see him. He must think himself a most agreeable fellow. I could not do such a thing. It is the greatest absurdity. Actually snowing at this moment. The folly of not allowing people to be comfortable at home. And the folly of people not staying comfortably at home when they can. If we were obliged to go out such an evening as this, by any call of duty or business, what a hardship we should deem it and Here are we, probably with rather thinner clothing than usual, setting forward voluntarily without excuse in defiance of the voice of nature which tells man in everything given to his view or his feelings to stay at home himself. 
and keep all under shelter that he can. <laughs> Here are we setting forward to spend five dull hours in another man's house with nothing to say or to hear that was not said or heard yesterday and may not be said or heard again tomorrow. Going in dismal weather to return probably in worse, four horses and four servants taken out for nothing but to convey five idle, shivering creatures into colder rooms and worse company than they might have had at home. Mr. Woodhouse, for the Hobbit win, let's talk about Home Hobbit. Yes. Home Hobbit. A little indoor kitten. Oh, I was living for his needs. Mm-hmm. He There's a draft Morgan we have to shield from the draft in the 2020 version. Oh Mr. Gosh. Woodhouse, they just successively Bill put Nighy. more oh my God. more and more screens to block the draft. Yes. Because <laughs> he kept feeling, <laughs> feeling it in different places. There's a draft. You know, he's particular. He knows what he wants. That's right. And he has the means to give himself a exactly what he wants and emma has lived with this father who has all of the comforts that he needs for his hypochondriac life and emma fucking adores him she She indulges his every little whim and she's so sweet to him oh my god her conversations are so like acknowledging and And like yeah dad like uh (laughs) uh-huh yeah like she doesn't talk down to him at all like she you know is is very authentic with her father and, you know, he encourages her. The whole fact, too, having a father who is, like, encouraging her to not get married and is like, that's a terrible idea. You should never leave. It's also unusual because... Stay home with me, Emma. Yeah, because women usually, like, daughters usually couldn't inherit uh, family fortunes. If you had daughters, you just wanted to marry them off because then you could get more familial connections and build your gold and yeah. it, it, keep everybody safe. So it was just there was a lot of worry usually. And mm-hmm. so this is another kind of wild experience like that we're having. variable. Like just yeah. meeting all of these characters. Just this doting father. Yeah. Oh, my God. But he's concerned all the time about everything and everyone. And he has opinions and just the paragraphs. He's a little sassy, too. The paragraphs that we get with Mr. Woodhouse and Mrs. Bates. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. I also think it's so Mm -hmm. sweet. And one of the – I don't remember when it is exactly, but uh, one of the times that Harriet is talking – or, excuse me, Emma is talking to Harriet and telling her about – why she might not marry someday and why she's perfectly fine just being a single woman and aging and, you know, doing that auntie thing too. And one of the reasons is her father because, well, I, you know, basically am, you know, the one who runs the estate and I have been and I'm the one who takes care of my father and what would he do if I weren't there? And so this is my home and I have everything I need here. And so I have no reason to leave no reason to have a husband because you, you know, women marry a man so they can take care of him while I'm taking care of my father. It's a perfect situation for us. And we have all the resources we need. So I need nothing. <laughs> yes. Uh, they are just like, they're such good companions for one another, too. Their personalities, they're so different in their outlooks in life. Um, but... <laughs> I don't know. Something works about it. Yeah. And they're just. And it's precious. It it's is precious. precious. It's precious. It's That's so the word cute. I've been looking for. It's precious. It's they're just both precious. They're both adorable, flawed humans. <sighs> and they're just precious together. And it's a 
father-daughter relationship mm-hmm. that we haven't explored in Austin as well. No. We, you know, different with Mr. Bennett and I mean Fanny didn't have a dad, but just all all of the things and now we have this father who's like I'm very concerned but I need you close to me, Emma, and mm-hmm. we have everything we need to have a nice life, but don't go too far. Yep. And I think like that definitely I think part of that also definitely comes from like the trauma of losing her mom. Yeah. You know, because her mom passed away suddenly. I think it was from a cold like or, you know, it was something involving the cold and she got sick or something. And that was when Emma was 12. And so it definitely seems like he was kind of always like this, but it went to a new level after her mom passed away. And And that's and that's a trauma that they share. And so she definitely indulges him and um also doesn't gaslight him when he's concerned it's not oh my goodness you silly father you're fine she acts compassionately towards his anxieties and that is what i find so pure about their relationship and and just the most precious ever and you can see that and that's where like with the relationship with her father i see that Emma isn't just this shallow Monet, if you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's really, really cute from far away. But close up, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. <laughs> well, it's like Cher making her dad drink the orange juice. It's like, Dad, you have to take yes. care of yourself. I do actually care about you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is like, there are parts of her that are truly, genuinely caring yeah, and lovely. And loving. Yeah. And so it's just like, come on, girl. Can you put two and two together and realize that you don't treat your girlfriends that way? Yeah. Okay. You yeah. got to treat them more like this and appreciate them and 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 help to foster the person they want to be. And like, don't try to change them or, you know, just come on. Yeah. Get it together. I'm just. Get it together, Emma. <sighs> <sighs> I just wanted better for her. Okay. You just expected better. And this also, this is a hard book for me because I j- it's so embarrassing. This is such a, a fucking embarrassing. Levels. It's just so much of the of Emma just like putting her foot in her mouth. Yes. And I literally cringe every time yep. because one of the greatest fears that I have and I think a lot of people have is just, uh, you know, rejection. And this book, social rejection, like the stakes have never been lower, but also they start creeping up and getting higher. They start creeping up and getting higher. And Emma realizes just maybe what she's done when she's leaving the dinner mm-hmm, with mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. all of everyone and her sister and her dad and Elton is there and he's been drinking. And then all of a sudden they end up in the same carriage together. Mm. And this is after they've been doing painting and hanging out and He's gone and gotten the drawing framed. Worst flirting ever. Worst flirting ever. How inappropriate was it that they ended up in the same carriage together in that scene? Because that's also a lens I want to look at this through. Because Mm -hmm. is it because he's a clergy dude? It's just not as big of a deal, Mm -hmm. even though. But, okay, so. Interesting, 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 interesting. Here's the part where we find out, Emma, you dumb, beautiful woman. Elton has been in love with you this whole time. Let's find out. Worst. This is where they're getting in the carriages. Isabella stepped in after her father. John Knightley, forgetting that he did not belong to their party, stepped in after his wife very naturally, 
so that Emma found on being escorted and followed into the second carriage by Mr. Elton that the door was to be lawfully shut on them and that they were to have a tete-a-tete drive. It would not have been the awkwardness of a moment. It would have been rather a pleasure previous to the suspicions of this very day, because now she's suspicious, that she could have talked to him of Harriet. But the three quarters of a mile would have seemed but one. Now, she would rather it not have happened. She believed he had been drinking too much of Mr. Weston's good wine and felt sure that he would want to be talking nonsense. To restrain him as much as might be by her own manners, she was immediately preparing to speak with exquisite calmness and gravity of the weather and the night. But scarcely had she begun, scarcely had they passed the sweep gate and joined the other carriage, than she found her subject cut up, her hand seized, her attention demanded, and Mr. Elton actually making violent love to her, availing himself of the precious opportunity, declaring sentiments which must be already well known, hoping, fearing, adoring, ready to die if she refused him, but flattering himself that his ardent attachment and unequaled love and unexampled passion could not fail of having some effect, and in short, very much resolved on being seriously accepted as soon as possible. It really was so, without scruple, without apology, without much apparent indifference, Mr. Elton, the lover of Harriet, was professing himself her lover. She tried to stop him, but vainly he would go on and say it all, angry as she was. The thought of the moment made her resolve to restrain herself when she did speak. She felt that half this folly may be drunkenness, and therefore could hope that it might belong only to the passing hour. Do you remember feeling that? Like, well, maybe, maybe this can just be an isolated incident. But no. Gross. This is gross. Uh, I hate this. Gross. Gross. Accordingly, with a mixture of the serious and the playful, which she hoped would be best suit his half and half state, she replied, I am very much astonished, Mr. Elton. This, to me, you forget yourself. You take me for my friend. Morgan, you take me for my friend. You, you think that I'm Harriet, but I'm Emma. Any message to Miss Smith, I shall be happy to deliver, but no more of this to me, if you please. This whole confrontation in the carriage where, like, I can just imagine the color draining out of her face, the realization of all of these things that she has put into motion. She's been talking up Elton to Harriet for days, weeks. I'm not quite sure of the mm -hmm. timeline, but this book takes place over months. Yeah. Like, because in the movie, it's like spring, summer, we get the seasons and everything. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. what my brain is thinking. Yes. That it was so beautifully laid out. And in Clueless, it's like the beginning it's of the, the whole school, school year. year. And that's the end. Yes. <laughs> okay. Brain. Brain. And this Things is like, connecting. you know, and we're about halfway through the book. So I feel it's fair to say that by the end of the section that we got to, you know, we were about yeah halfway through the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That seems yeah. accurate. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, I uh I hate that. I hate that whole scene. It's so fucking inappropriate. It's awkward. It makes me filled with rage. Like he's touching her without asking. Like he's assaulting her in this carriage. Yeah. And like just the awkward position of just like, oh my God, what do I do? Like I'm alone with this person, like this person of power who is a vicar, and like 
he's supposed to be somebody who's like <clears throat> safe and a friend. And like, I had no idea he was into me. I was supposed to be like setting him up, him up with my friend. It was all fun and games. Just completely, you know, and she's like trying to be polite about it. And, and this is the problem. Why should she feel that she has to be fucking polite? Because he has just come in completely inappropriate like, why do we care if he feels ashamed? Mm-hmm. He fucking should feel ashamed. I don't yeah. care if you've been drinking. You're still responsible for your actions. That's right. So you need to button up, sir. Button it up. Button it up. Mm-hmm. Get the fuck out of here. Just get out. Well, in, in the uh, movie, rage. last night, too, <laughs> I I was watching the 2020 version of Emma, and it's they just it's not in the book where he bangs his fist really hard and says, "Driver, stop the carriage," but it's that um showing of anger, that showing that flash of um I'm going to hit inanimate objects and be really angry in front of you, and then get out, and mm-hmm. everyone's gonna feel a little bit unsettled and concerned. Yes. And it just like me as Samantha, it just like that's one of those things. That's those flashes of things where it's like immediately, immediately, I'm just like, nope. Mm-hmm. Elton's the worst. Elton's the worst, and he's rude, and he is presumptuous, and he is entitled and forthright and mm-hmm. inappropriate, and it doesn't matter that Emma has 30,000 a year. She still felt vulnerable and exposed mm-hmm. in this moment, and that made me mad. Yeah, and and it crossed, like, that behavior crossed the line into dangerous and threatening yeah. behavior. Intimidating. And so that was really the difference. You've now crossed the line. Like you're not even in my space. You're literally touching my body. You're restraining me. You're blocking me. You know, no. You're not like, listening to my words. Yeah, and this, I'm is, feeling, this is no longer a yeah. conversation. You're not professing your love to me. You are you're demanding my love. Me. Yeah, <sighs> you're demanding things of me and I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Like, this is this is horrible. This is a nightmare situation. And this is also like this is it's startling because this is just also like the most violent scene that I'm recalling in Jane Austen's books up until this point. Like, we've heard rumors. We've read letters of like stories of things that have happened to characters and scandals. Um, but this this was a scary scene. Like we're there in the coach with Emma. This is a really serious situation. Like I felt that loneliness. I felt that fear. So this again, I think, points out where just yeah, Emma is like a more mature novel for Jane Austen. Like we're not only alluding to some you know cultural issues. Um she's like Jane's just coming right out and painting the picture mm-hmm. and being like this is this is an issue you feel it in the moment <laughs> yeah and then Emma after this she has a whole conversation with herself about like how did she misread the whole situation oh, she starts gaslighting doubt, herself doubting herself and, doubting, and yep. just blaming herself like, oh, there's all like, sorts this was of layers her fault mm-hmm. this behavior she brought it on yep it's heartbreaking Oh, baby. And so mm. this is the part where Elton tells Cher to get out of the car by the gas yeah. station. Yeah. This is, yeah. <laughs> which is always a scary downer part that made me feel unsafe in that movie, which is the point. Yep. Which that's, is the point. The it's point. A, it's an unsafe situation mm-hmm. and it's wrong. Yep. 
So mm. that was a character growth moment for Emma that just really, I feel like, is an important part of this storyline because not only does she realize that there are consequences to meddling in other, I think that Elton would have come on to Emma even if she would have just been existing without mm-hmm. putting herself in proximity with Harriet and whatever. But mm-hmm. she has this moment where she was like, I can't believe this is how I acted in front of him. I was so uh, busy trying to get him and Harriet uh, hooked up that I was just not aware of the vibes that I was putting off mm-hmm. that then she starts blaming herself of like, mm-hmm. ooh, level, levels and layers. Yeah. And uh, Emma does a little bit of personal growing up and realizing that day of mm-hmm. like, ooh. And then pretty soon after that, Emma, uh, excuse me, Elton dips out of the book. Mm-hmm. He he's like, bye. I'm gonna go and fall in love for a little bit, and then he'll be back. Yeah, yeah. I hope he was fucking embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says he leaves towns embarrassed and feeling like shit. Good. Yeah. So he is shit. Yeah, he is okay? shit. That was shit behavior. Mm-hmm. No, I don't forgive that kind of shit easily. Nope. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of this. Get out of here. Get out of the book. <laughs> Get out of the book and never come back. <laughs> never come back. Wow. Yeah, that like really took a turn. Mm-hmm. And we were having just so we much having, fun. We were drawing and painting um, and Mr. Knightley was being nice yeah, and attractive. Yeah, we were feeling super powerful. And now that's being tested. Oh, now I'm uncomfortable. Emma. Some feelings. It's different feelings, though, than I'm used to feeling in Jane Austen books. I'm not being romanced a lot in this book. I got to say that like I'm not having as many like hot pants moments. You're not the Emma. main character noticing the hot character doing hot things like you, you are know? distracted by distractions of her choosing. I'm just like I'm having fun, but it's just like I'm not like I'm not involved in all of the the secondary characters. They're just they're typical secondary characters She's where the they're a little master. kooky. Mm-hmm. You know, like no one's like sexy and not like Pride and Prejudice where it just like everything is fucking flirty and sexy and you're like get out of here like <laughs> Whoa. I'm just sitting here rolling <laughs> my eyes. Ooh, I just got flushed. Me. It's not like that, but it, I, it's just, it's it's hard for me to, I haven't quite put my finger on it yet, but I'm just feeling some different new feelings with this book. It's yeah. It's different relationships than I'm used to seeing in Austin books. I agree. Different romances. Yeah. And so Jane's like, I'm going to put these different variables in, <sighs> hmm. in my book and then, Morgan, you know the reason why you're having a nice time? Hmm. You know why you're having a nice time? Because the stakes have never been lower. Because the stakes have never been lower. And we have characters like Mrs. Bates, who just show up for a nice little monologue every once in a while to share a full stream of consciousness about whatever may or may not be happening. And Do you think, like, oh. she... Do you think that just like she doesn't get to talk a lot in her daily life? And so she gets somebody to listen to her and then she just spills it all and she just can't stop. Yes. Because she lives with her mother who can't hear. And And she's she's lovely and sweet and kind. And everyone thinks so. Mrs. Bates and her mother are on the poorer side. Mm -hmm. I don't know where in the scale, but they don't have a lot. And so. And she never married. 
And so Mrs. Bates and her mother, they have um, Mrs. Bates has a niece, Jane Fairfax. And so Mm -hmm. she's always getting letters from Jane. And like, this is how the hot goss spreads around town is like Mrs. Bates is here to further on the story and like tell you what Jane's been up to and like her reactions to what's been happening. She keeps tabs on everybody. Mm -hmm. So we have like these Mm -hmm. very high high frequency moments of like concern and what have you but then literally on the next page and why my audiobook was just <laughs> such a different listening experience is because then we would just have miss bates rambling about something yeah. and i was like well this sounds just about right could, yeah it could be i i picked a good one are you ready for this yes, one okay i love her <clears throat> So she, they're hanging out. I think that this is, I don't know where they are. I probably should have looked up, but they're talking about when Jane's going to be coming and visiting, Mm -hmm. right? And so she says, oh, no, you are very obliging to say such things, but certainly not. There is no comparison between them. Miss Campbell always was absolutely plain, but extremely elegant and amiable. Yes, that, of course. Jane! Caught a bad cold, poor thing, so long ago as the 7th of November, as I am going to read to you, and has never been well since. A long time, is not it, for a cold to hang upon her? She never mentioned it before, because she would not alarm us, just like her, so considerate. But, however, she is so far from well that her kind friends, the Campbells, think that she had better come home and try an air that always agrees with her. And they have no doubt that three or four months at Highbury will entirely cure her and it's certainly a great deal better than she should come here and then go to Ireland if she is unwell nobody could nurse her as we should do it appears to me the most desirable arrangement in the world I think that's Emma Emma says that and then Miss Bates keeps going. And so she is to come to us next Friday or Saturday. And the Campbells leave town in their way to Holyhead the Monday following, as you will find from Jane's letter. So sudden, you may guess, dear Miss Woodhouse, what a flurry it has thrown me in. If it was not for the drawback of her illness, but I am afraid we must expect it to see her grown thin and looking very poorly, I must tell you what an unlucky thing happened to me as to that. I all always make a point of reading Jane's letters through myself first before I read them aloud to my mother, as you know, for fear of there being anything in them to distress her. Jane desired me to do it, so I always do. And so I began today with my usual caution, but no sooner I did come to the mention of her being unwell that I burst out, quite frightened. Bless me, poor Jane is ill, which my mother, being on the watch, heard distinctly and was sadly alarmed at however when i read on i found it was not near so bad as i had fancied at first and i make so light of it now to her that she does not think much of it but i cannot imagine how i could put off so my guard if jane does not get well soon we will call mr perry the expense shall not be thought of and though he is so liberal and so fond of jane that i dare say he would not mean to charge anything for the attendance we could not suffer it to be so you know he has a wife and a family to maintain and is not to be giving away his time well Now, I have just given you a hint of what Jane writes about. We will turn to her letter, and I am sure she tells her own story a great deal better than I can tell her. So this is the preamble to her reading the letter to Emma Woodhouse. You read that so well. I spaced (gasps) off three times. 
That makes me so oh happy because God. I was totally channeling oh, my Miranda energy. Yes. The, oh my gosh. I Miranda love- Hart as Ms. Bates is Iconic. My favorite thing. It's so good. <laughs> it's okay. my favorite thing. Oh my god. Sidestep. We need to put a pin in this. <sighs> but if y'all have access to Miranda on BritBox or however you get your British TV shows, yeah, Miranda, lovely, 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 lovely. And that actress plays Mrs. Bates in the 2020 version of Emma. And it is mm-hmm. outstanding. It is iconic. And I had not seen Miranda mm-hmm. before. I saw the first time this movie. Yes. And so now that I've seen Miranda and now she's in this role, it is just, I can tell how much freaking fun she's having. You can yes. just see how she is adding to all of the things and it's just going to be all connected and we're going to get back to what mm-hmm. we were talking about, but we just need to fit it all. I really identify with her. It's like, yeah. How much can we fit in to one breath so that everyone mm-hmm. has all of the information that they need to mm-hmm. be successful? <laughs> Yeah, it's like I imagine the whole ex- like the actual uh live real time experience of her getting this letter from Jane Fairfax and opening it and reading it and then reading it to her mother and all these feelings. I estimate that that is probably in total 5 minutes mm-hmm. in like real time, but she manages to make a 17 minute story out of it yes which is incredible her just the level of detail she uses her imagination uh her just desire to entertain people and to also fit in because like you know that is such a fear for other people like emma has no idea what it's like to be afraid not to fit in she there's no chance of her being rejected she doesn't fucking care she's trying so hard to talk to emma and like entertain emma and tell emma all of the things and we as the reader learn about things through mrs bates Mm -hmm. like her soliloquies (laughs) her monologues oh my gosh but she's doing it for the benefit of like emma i have this news and you Mm. must know this news it is imperative for your existence that you know this news and like just bless her she wants to be a good friend she just she is a good friend she is a good friend yes yeah miss bates is a lovely friend Mm. and i just adore again miranda hart playing miss bates iconic it's incredible everyone stop what you're doing we'll wait (sighs) she just does such a beautiful job but i like i do i find that whole like their friendship it's just i don't understand why emma needs to bully her to bully miss bates Mm -hmm. because that like really is what it's turning into she's just just over it behavior she's tired of listening yeah and it's like why does it matter these are all details that just don't matter why do you have to put her down Mm -hmm. she's not hurting anybody like why do you have to be rude why you know it's like she's over it that's like seems to be my issue with emma in general through this it's it's just like she just really values independence and she seems like this you know beacon of feminism and yet she cannot for some reason be her best fullest independent self without making other women smaller and so that's the problem i'm having with her 
right now in this part of the book. Mm -hmm. It's like she has to, you know, control Harriet and be the puppet master of her life. Why? She's not hurting anybody. Who the fuck cares if she wants to go marry this hot farmer? Great. That's right. He's going to fuck her right. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Match. Get it, girl. Real happy. Yeah. Okay. Um, you got Miss Bates over here who's just like living her best goddamn life. Yeah. Like her mom is her best friend. She's like living her golden girl years. Mm-hmm. Um in her not like hurting anybody. What late 30s? Just wants to be a nice friend to you yeah. and like tell you all the scuttlebutt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the hot goss in Amazing. town. She's trying like, to help. She's looking out for your back, man. Those are the kind of people you want on your side. And yet for some reason, like Emma just projects some disgust towards that's a good those word. people and yeah. i find it really offensive and hurtful and it's making me uncomfortable so i'm having some of those feelings at this part of emma as well which is challenging for me i want to read another part that is a miss bates part because it okay well it was some part it was some part where Emma says some snappy comment to Mrs. Bates mm. or some kind of flippant like, oh, yes, I completely agree, blah, 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 blah. And mm-hmm. her mom doesn't hear what Emma says. And so Mrs. Bates has to yell mm-hmm. the comment that Emma said like three times. And it says something like Emma had the pleasure of hearing her own short retort said mm-hmm. back to her at great volume so yes. that her mom could hear. And it's just like the cringe, the levels of cringe that she puts herself in. She's put herself in these situations by mm-hmm. reacting to these lovely women, these lovely women that she's surrounded by. Yeah. If it weren't for Emma, not a lot of conflict would be happening. No. Everyone just living Because she's lives. a fucking pot stirrer. Yes. Up yes. And stirring the pot. It's it's wild. I know. And so she that, knows best. She does. Mm, yes. No, she doesn't. No, she does not. Mm-mm. So it's just rough. And again, it's that thing where she's like putting herself in the place to tell other women what's best for them. Yeah. And that is not supportive. No. And that is not feminism. So if you have back up off it. Yeah, if you have to like take off someone's crown and smash no. it so that you can be in crown stuff. No. Exactly. You can't. Exactly. Yeah. That. Put it on a shirt. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Feeling very so, hurt right now. I didn't know that I was going to feel so hurt about Emma's choices and yeah, how she's mm-hmm. what her relationship with other women are yeah. in this book. And it's just disappointing because she's like talking shit about Jane Fairfax. She's comparing herself to Jane Fairfax. Oh my gosh, the I mysterious know. Jane is, Fairfax. Uh, Everyone's talking about everyone. Jane Fairfax. So who is, Miss, is she? Miss Bates niece. And who is she? Who is she? All of these letters are coming from Miss Fairfax. And Emma's just like, Miss Fairfax, I don't care about Miss Fairfax. I just don't care. Everyone compares all of us. Everyone thinks that we should be friends because we're the same age. But no, not for Emma. It's like, why you got to tear people down? Yeah. She just doesn't want more friends. She's not accepting friendship applications. She's really pushing people away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's an interesting thing, too, is because she is... She's a she's very independent, but so far her independence doesn't seem to be valuable 
in her relationship development. Ooh. And so it it seems to be kind of hurting that because she doesn't really know how to play nicely with people. Mm-hmm. Like her independence is so extreme <laughs> where she doesn't seem to know how to build yeah, genuine relationships with people and how to rely on people and how to actually like give and have a balance. It's just like her relationships, like the power balance is way off. She's superior. In every single one. She in- has to make herself superior. Yes. It is. It's like her relationships are about domination and I need to feel like I'm helping you. I have to feel like I'm contributing and like that's what it's about. And then it becomes a selfish endeavor. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you need to have this kind of relationship because I want to tell people that I set you up with this person. Yeah. Everything just is about her and turns out to be selfish. And like her good deeds are masked. This is all the fun that she gets to have until the next thing happens. So she's like, well, this is I'm going to be entertained by this. She doesn't see herself yes. shooting herself in the foot. With Elton. And now with this situation, this is literally the plot of Clueless. Yeah crazy right like verbatim you guys (sighs) this is only the first half of the book this is a long ass book this is the only first half of the book okay i have two what did i do hold on i have two more dog-eared things can i just say i don't think there's enough mr knightley just being like hot okay because he's he's just his tell it like it is stuff and just like putting emma in her place Uh and just being like you're wrong like i know you're just because his moral compass (laughs) just points like due north man and he's just everything is very like it's black and white with him there's no in between he's Mm -hmm. holding everyone accountable but also the fact that like he doesn't like put her down like i i don't like he definitely will tell it like it is but he has this way of just being like that was wrong but he doesn't uh like punish her for it he doesn't like you know remind her of her mistakes over and over and over and make her feel like a piece of shit He's just like, hey, you're better than that. Stop it. Like, why are you doing this? You have all this privilege, which thank God, because that's what I as the reader have been thinking as this is happening, is it's just like a disappointment because because we started with this heroine who has everything most women on the planet could ever dream of, you know, all this wealth and beauty and freedom it's like the wardrobe and the privilege you know she's here squandering it on this petty shenanigan shit she's wasting her time yeah and just being immature about it okay like go mind your own fucking business so can we really quick have a some hot mr knightley because you asked for some hot mr knightley yeah i'm gonna pull out some hot mr knightley for you i got the hots for him they're talking about Frank Churchill not showing up to his father's betrothing. What a tool. I know, right? Hey, we found our Regency era fuckboy. Yeah, we did. Mm. Mm. What up, Frankie? What up, buddy? Buddy We'll be talking about him more soon. All right, let me get into my Mr. Knightley voice. It's down here. It lives down here. It's a little husky. It lives down here, Emma. (laughs) Yeah, I have to say Emma. And then I get there. Emma. There's one thing, Emma, which a man can always do if he chooses, and that is his duty, not by maneuvering and finessing, but by vigor and resolution. It is Frank Churchill's duty to pay his attention to his father. He knows it to be so by his promises and messages, but if he wished to do it, it might be done. A man who felt rightly would say at once, simply and resolutely, to Mrs. Churchill, 
every sacrifice of mere pleasure you will always find me ready to make to your convenience. But I must go to see my father immediately. I know he would be hurt by my failing in such a mark of respect on the present occasion. I shall therefore set off tomorrow. If he would say so to her at once, in the tone of decision becoming a man, there would be no opposition made to his going. Depend upon it, Emma. A sensible man would find no difficulty in it. He would fill himself in the right and the declaration, made, of course, as a man of sense would make it, in a proper manner, would do him more good. Riz is just nightly shaking his fist and telling her that they would feel that they could trust mm. him and that it good to work a car. I, he mm -hmm. just the lecturing and calling Emma up and saying, hey... If a man wants to do his duty, then he's going to do his duty. And there's nothing that should be preventing a man from doing his duty. Mm -hmm. Unless it's his own inaction and choices. Yeah. And that's some hot Mr. Knightley advice right there. Yeah. Like, nothing's going to get in the, my way. Mm -hmm. If it were me, nothing would get in my way Excuses? of doing something I want. Excuses. So, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day... That's good advice, Knightley, because at the end of the day, people are going to show you who they are with their actions. Say all you want, squawk all you want. What, it, what are you doing? Because that's what I'm watching. Yeah. You're going to show me if I mean something to you. Yeah. Your actions. You're going to show me actions. if I'm important. You're speaking pretty yes. loud there, Frankie boy. And, um, you know, Jane Austen just timeless i'm still yelling just i love i love this about these books that mm -hmm. just it's the same themes that are applicable like i can see these people mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. and it's the same stuff it's just so poignant and in your face and thoughtful and deep fuck boy is a fuck boy man <sighs> it's so real mm -hmm. frank churchill let me tell you we're gonna be talking a lot about him yeah. in the next half See, and he's a he's kind he's a tougher one, and mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you why. Tell me. Let me tell you some of my thoughts about Frank Churchill. Tell me why. So he's a little bit of a different fuckboy for me mm -hmm. than what we've had previously. So some of our previous notable fuckboys, notable fuckboys of the Regency era. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, so like you know we look at Wickham, and um, who's Sense our other who's our Wickham. other W. Willoughby. Willoughby. Willoughby from Sense and Sensibility. Wickham from Pride and Prejudice. Prejudice. Yep. So those two gents, um, you know, we've got our military men, which means that they don't come from money. You know, they're not wealthy. They don't really have reputations all. And, you know, people, their introductions were very mysterious. Like people didn't know about their families or where they came from. And it was That's more right. like, oh, my God, they showed up in town. But like, oh, boy, are they cute and charming. Uh, Frank Churchill is different. Like we do know his family and people speak highly of him. And so like we have this whole reputation of Frank Churchill beforehand and Emma's like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, around my age. He's supposed to be this charming man. Like his family's really good. Like we love Mr. Churchill, all of these things. So there's all of this promise. And so I also it seems like he gets away with a lot, too. And like Frankie, Frankie boy definitely knows that. And uh -huh. he, 
uses, he kind of hides behind his father's good reputation yes. and knowing that he can get away with some silly fuckboy shenanigans because people know his daddy. Mm-hmm. And so that's a little sly. Just showing and up I'm, on the town. You know, like we're starting to see that already. It's, Is this our seated already. Christian character from <laughs> Clueless showing up to distract Cher? She's gonna think, yeah, all these maybe, rumors. Maybe this man is the man for man and man no. for man. Uh, no, <clears throat> it's not. Just a little party boy. He's just a little party boy. Uh, I would like because Morgan, we are. It's another multiple hour book nook episode. Good God, the time has yeah. flown by. I have some Mrs. Bates to read us out with. Only but ha- this is a very long book. We're only thing. halfway it's, through. Like, it's a chunky I had, boy. One, two, three, four, five, like seven or eight little areas where it's like, we have to talk about this character. We have to talk about Mr. Woodhouse. We have to talk about the relationship with Emma. We have to talk about Mr. Knightley. And also how Mr. Knightley has known Emma for a thousand years and he's essentially like her He's a lot older than her, too. Yeah, he's 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 37. Like, oh, thir- I was going to say 35. She's and she's 21. 21. Yes. So wow. he's like up there. And so there's also this age difference of like, I don't mm-hmm. remember the we're going to put some sort of picture linking how all of the characters, but there's some different like familial arrangements that are a little bit hard to follow. Like who Frank Churchill's related to who Jane Fairfax is related to how Mr. Knightley relates to Emma and Mr. Woodhouse and Mm -hmm, their family. mm -hmm. Harriet. There's so many good characters. There's so many good characters in this book and they all have such unique story paths. They do. I'm mad about it. Um, yeah, and can confirm this is, in fact, Jane Austen's longest book. So we are reading her longest novel. It doesn't just feel like a really long novel. It is. Um, it is her longest novel by 536 words. Okay. So like a, you know, a nice little chunk. Yeah. So 500 some words are nothing. That's, yeah, like, way to go, everybody. Way to go. Yeah, our halfway point in this book I was asking you, because obviously we're not going to do the science of being like, well, what's the halfway story plot point? No, what's halfway through the book? I don't. Halfway. We're not going to start. Yeah, we're not going to stop in the middle of a chapter. I have no time. Savage. Halfway through the book. And so this. Yeah, so we we read up to chapter 10. Mm Mm-hmm. And there are 19 chapters in this book. In this version of this book. Yes, in the version that we have of this book. My audiobook has 58 chapters that are broken into 350 sections Mm -hmm. in a bunch of two and three minute chunks that I listen to out of order. And I just want to remind everyone of that. That that was funny because the audiobook I'm listening to Uh is broken into 12 chunks, Uh but there are actually chapters within within the chunks. So I can't tell how it matches up with my book technology, but it's the same amount, a different number. Yes. Because it's weird. This is like section one, two, three, and then chapters within, but in because Emma was published in volumes. I believe there were three volumes. So it was published and as a so, separate thing? Yes. And <gasps> so, like, it was published in volumes. So, like, maybe we can learn a little bit more about that because I don't completely understand. Could we? But it is weird that put you a pin that. In it. Yeah, let's yes. put a pin in that yes. and address it next month. Amazing. Because uh, we got to wrap this up, I guess. So, yeah. We, yeah. Cl- yeah. Any closing remarks here? I, I'm fucking fired up here. I love Jane Austen. 
I'm still so excited that we decided to do Book Nook. These continue to be just bangers of episodes. Editing Samantha hasn't Mm. even started touching this. And like, I am so excited to go through and just listen to us yelling about Jane Austen. Book Nook is just so lovely. I just love getting in the pod lounge and yelling with you about these timeless stories because they're timeless. They're timeless. And that's what makes me mad every time I read them. It's like when we were in Mansfield Park and I'm like, oh, I know a Mrs. Norris. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, these character tropes aren't just tropes in books for a reason because this is just human behavior and these variables and all these people concocted together. And Mm -hmm. it's a very unique set of characters in this book. Yeah. Are you mad because and Jane mad. Austen keeps triggering you? I'm just being triggered by Jane Austen. Mm-hmm. I hope that she's, she's having a us. nice time watching watching us just trudge through this book because I it is a delight. So. It is a delight. From the beyond. Yes, that's right. It It is a trudging and a joy. Like, I'm mm. really having a time being mad about these characters and also really mm. loving witnessing their journey and the development and how they're interacting with each other Mm -hmm. and the part that they all play in the overall story it's just a really well-crafted beautiful book she's a beautiful book morgan Mm. you want to end on some beautiful let's end on some miss we i need to correction corner you it is miss bates you've been talking about you keep saying mrs bates but mrs bates is the mother and miss bates Mm -hmm. is the one who's getting made fun of by emma miss so just listen to that in editing Miss Bates. Miss Bates. Like consistent ones is Miss and Mrs. Mm-hmm. Because it's all just we're just hey, going. Yeah, we're no flying. need no need to explain. No, I'm just I'm sharing. That's just that's just like the oh, yep. I look forward to continuing to converse about that with you because mm-hmm. it it's gonna be Mrs. Bates forever. Okay. The beginning of this part, she says, What was I talking of? said she. Beginning again when they were all in the street. So this is now flowing out of the shop and she is going to continue to keep talking. Is this when they're looking at like hats and ribbons? Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 yes, yes. Okay. I'm there. Yeah. I'm there. Okay. So like Emma sees Miss Bates coming. She's like, shit, we got to go, guys. We got to go. We got to get out of here. She tries to dodge her. She starts telling her about her most recent letter from Jane. And so, okay. Okay. I'm there. I'm there. Emma wondered on what of all the medley she would fix. I declare I cannot recollect what I was talking of. Oh, my mother's spectacles. So very obliging of Mr. Frank Churchill. Oh, said he, I do think I can fasten the rivet. I like a job of this kind of excessively. When you know. Okay, I hate both of these words that I just encountered. So give Mm -hmm. me a second. Shooed him, which you know shooed him to be so very. Indeed, I must say that as much as I heard of him before and much as I had expected, he very far exceeds anything. I do congratulate you, Mrs. Weston. Most warmly, he seems everything the fondest parent could. Oh, said he, 
I can fasten the rivet. I like a job of that sort excessively. I never shall forget his manner. So she just requotes him again. She just requoted him again. Mm-hmm. And I stumbled through that line again. Just repeats herself. I thought that my brain was short circuiting, but she says the same line again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <gasps> I can fasten the rivet like a job of that sort of excessively. I never shall forget his manner. And when I brought out the baked apples from the closet and hoped our friends would be so very obliging as to take some. Oh, he said directly, there is nothing in the way of fruit half so good. And these are the finest by his manner. It was no compliment. Indeed, they are very delightful apples. And Mrs. Wallace does them full justice. Only we do not have them baked more than twice. And Mr. Woodhouse made made us promise to have them done three times. But Miss Woodhouse would be so good as to not mention it. The apples themselves are the very finest sort for baking, beyond all doubt. All from Donwell, some of Mr. Knightley's most liberal supply. He sends us a sack every year, and certainly there never was such a keeping apple anywhere as one of his trees. I believe there is two of them. My mother says that the orchard was always famous in her younger days, but I will really... I was really quite shocked the other day, for Mr. Knightley called one morning, and Jane was eating the apples, and we talked about them, and said how much she enjoyed them, and he asked whether we were not going to end our stock. I am sure you must be, he said, and I will send another supply, for I have a great many more than I can ever use. William Larkins can- It just- I realize how many minutes I've now been talking, and that it goes on literally for another page and a half. There's never a good stopping point. No. And when I dog-eared this, I was like, you'll find a good stopping point, Samantha. But no, it continues going. Yeah. And it keeps happening. And she keeps on talking. And then at the end, she gets back to what she was talking about at the beginning, about the spectacle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I really relate to her. I feel like I... she could be on our podcast, yep. getting on all of these tangents. Welcome to and... the tangent train, baby. Yeah. And just Mrs. coming back to it. Miss Bates for the win. <laughs> oh, my God. How, what a fucking sweetheart, though, to be that i guess just fascinated and excited about everything happening to you and everyone pleasantly listening to her because she's so stoked no one's trying to interrupt her she just wants to tell everyone everything and here it all is i mean but you can't interrupt her not to say people wouldn't but to your point you couldn't find a good stopping point there's no point there's dashes you can't jump in it's all semicolons and she doesn't breathe She doesn't breathe. Because she's, she's just so fucking excited. She's just so fucking excited. Yeah. I love this book. I am loving this book. I'm loving reading this book. <sighs> and it has been a joy to revisit these characters in this form as opposed to Emma. Yep, there you go. Gwyneth yep, Paltrow. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the two Emma movies and then mm-hmm, the Clueless mm-hmm. movie. And yeah. just revisiting this now with the written word mm-hmm. and seeing it all just on the page and imagining Jane writing these words and chuckling to herself just the inner monologue that she's creating for this character just gives me an especial just bit of joy mm-hmm. reading this book oh, I totally agree well I can't wait to finish this we're we're back on our best buds next yeah. Wednesday we're starting again fresh with a new month oh. Uh, first Wednesday is always best buds. So we're talking about plants, but mm-hmm. please, if you like Pride and Prejudice, if you like Sense and Sensibility, if you want to, if you read what Emma, if you haven't, is, yeah, yeah, like we did, um, all of those things, go back, listen to the other Book Nook episodes, and we will be back with a Book Nook on the fourth Wednesday of 
August. Oh, we're going to be such different people then. Oh, I'm so excited to take my audiobook off shuffle and really get into the second yeah. half of this book. <laughs> Make sure it's off shuffle. <laughs> oh, friends, we'll talk to you guys next time. Love and abundance. Bye.